0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham, a show at the intersection of sports, media, Hollywood, and hopefully life itself. I'm the host and executive producer, Ed. In this episode, we huddle with Jack Aroot, an Emmy-winning broadcaster and one of the best, most interesting people I have ever worked with. We talk a lot about his time on ABC's Wide World of Sports and the best stories he's ever covered, but we start the conversation about his racing podcast, because some of us old-time media members are actually trying out new media these days. Note, there is some cursing, and we had some life interruptions, including the gardener. This is From Start to Finish with Jack Aroot. What's the concept? Who do you talk to? What do you talk about? We focus uh,
1: once uh, once a uh, week, we drop and each episode features a uh, a-list uh, driver, car owner, someone like, key. drop some names name drop. Uh, Kyle Larson, uh, Richard Petty, Mario Andretti, uh, any any of the major newsmakers from IndyCar, from right. NASCAR, and then, are we you in the modern
0: circuit? Do you have uh, well, yes. uh yeah. Hamilton and have you have you have, not, you nab, not have you him yet? you don't do we formula don't 1. We don't do formula 1. Come no. on.
1: No. Come well, on. How do you not do
0: formula 1?
1: Because uh, formula 1 there you think you think the NFL has restrictions? Uh okay.
0: So, so you'd have it, to exclusively do Formula One and not do all the other stuff, which is no, you'd Americans. have to pay them. You'd ah. have to pay them to interview. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. So you know, and, and really can't you sneaky my, sneak around that and talk to mechanics and people who used to be in it? The trouble the trouble
1: ain't worth it. The, the trouble ain't worth the trouble because that's not that's not my target audience. Oh, yeah, because you're audience, after an American. You're your uh, Americans and. and you know who Jackaroot
0: is, right? Right. And,
1: well, and NASCAR and IndyCar are the two predominant. Yeah. Now, I get it. Now, during this, during this hiatus, we're doing a, what we call a bonus series where I'm going to kind of test uh, test drive, expanding it into road racing and some other, like some drag racing. Um, yeah. You know, the just, Baja, to, just to the, see. The Baja's going yeah. out here. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, raced I, in the Baja. I raced in the Baja. Did you know that? At the wheel?
0: Uh,
1: I was the navigator. Okay. What's the real job? So, my real job for the guy, he's since passed away. He didn't want to do it. It was for Wide World of Sports. So I had to go down there. Oh, so
0: you like went it. as a reporter and participated. Right. Right. Ah, But then okay. I participated. That's a, great, that's a good gig. Was that but at ABC? My job was World to light, of Sports? Yeah. My wow. job
1: was to light his cigarettes.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but it was very, very Way, way cool. It really was.
0: Was it an open air vehicle?
1: No, it was a, it was a, what they call a class, a pickup truck. Okay. And uh, so those we were leading. You were we were, lead, we were leading with 120 miles to go. We how how many right. miles
0: lay out what the, what the race is. It's a, really...
1: it's a thousand, it's a thousand miles from Ensenada to generally La Paz and through and the desert essentially. The desert, the 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 the, uh, the sea of Cortez, up through the mountains. The the terrain is everywhere, and the best way I can explain it to you is: imagine being strapped in your easy chair with bungee cords, and someone is just taking a small rubber hose and beating you at medium strength Mm, everywhere on your body,
0: everywhere the whole time, the whole time. Okay. Oh my god. But it was so cool. I enjoyed it. And was uh, um, and who, what was the guy's name?
1: Uh, Scoop Vessels. <laughs> his his family, his family owned Santa Anita racetrack.
0: You're kidding yeah. me. No. Wow. Yeah. We could talk for an hour about that racetrack. <laughs> wow. oh, yeah, ah, that's a docu. That's a series.
1: Hey, hold on one second. I got to answer the door here real quick. Yeah. I'm waiting for a package.
0: Okay, well, Jack gets his package, and since I missed the Let's Get the Scoop on Scoop Vessels opportunity when he comes back, according to Wikipedia, Frank Scoop Vessels III was an off-road truck racer who won the 1977 and 1988 Baja 1000 and went on to help start the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. As Jack mentioned, his family was in the horse business and Scoop bred quarter horses like his grandfather, Frank Vessels Sr. Vessels, who was given the nickname Scoop while working in his grandfather's stalls as a kid, Got in a plane crash in 2010 at age 58. All righty then. Sorry. How, uh, so scoop vessels, you're getting beat by a hose. You're lighting scoop cigarettes. You're cruising up and down the Baja and you turn around you come back and 120 left of, uh, so you've gone, what, 880 gone at about, that point. Well, yeah, we've gone about 900 miles. Wow. <laughs> it's, and it's the you're in first the,
1: place. The, the, we're in our class, we're in first what place. What year is this? Oh, God, this had to be, what, 90. I want to say like 91, 92 in there. Yeah. And uh, we break a right front hub and flip over, you know, and just like like flip over. Oh yeah. And, and the funny thing is full on crash. You're, you're you're flipping full on crash, but it's got roll cages and stuff, but it's like, you're dreaming all of it. I mean, we're about to win the Baja 1000. Okay.
0: And then, and that's how you have a camera with you. Had four of them
1: in the, in the, uh,
0: and what was funny, you was, had four cameras. So you had you had obviously lipstick cameras sort of. Uh, mounted. Well, back
1: then, you think about it. Back then, they were like just big ass cameras oh, and they were man. all mounted in the truck. That's but a lot of way. Yeah. Every time that we and I could key what camera to turn on. But every time we wanted to have a smoke, we'd
0: turn all the fucking cameras off. We it's funny because I, I talked to Mike Patrick, um, who I don't think you and I never worked with Mike as our play-by-play. Uh, you, no. you and I did what four or five seasons, I think, where you were a reporter and I was uh right. analyst. But I, I knew Mike. I knew Mike. Yeah. Well. So yeah. Mike and I, Mike and Mike and I worked together for seven years, and he was yeah. my partner when I decided to leave. And he was my second call when I decided to leave and sort of share my story. And but he smoked his whole career. I mean, he's in the broadcast booth at every stadium just piping away, <laughs> you know, it's such a, uh, it's crazy. I mean, looked, I played with guys in the NFL. There were a ton of them like that, Ed, in his, in Mike's era, your generation, you all grew up where everyone was smoking everywhere all the time in many communities.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, the irony is I never touched a cigarette until, uh, until I quit football my freshman year at UVM and my Vermont, roommate, yeah. And my roommate was a smoker and I picked it up now all through high school. Pff, talk about a dumbass. But anyways, yeah, I'm 71 and it hasn't killed me. So now if
0: it does, so be it. Well, you you're, you're a really curious and uh, engaged human. Uh, you're going to go for a while. You'll be all right. Yeah. Cause only the good die young. Remember that. Yeah. That's BS. That's So, uh, racing. So, okay, there you are. You almost win the Baja with scoop vessels, uh, chain smoking and filming the whole thing. Is that out there? Is that on YouTube? Could someone find that? Could we find that? You
1: know, I don't know if it lives because it was kind of that pre YouTube that was, you don't see a lot of wide world of sports elements, uh, because it's just so long ago, but I've, to be quite honest with you, I've never, I've never searched for it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm on. Let me see videos. I'm on uh, searching. No, there's there's some articles that look like might touch on it, but no video. That'd be amazing. So, um, where'd you grow up? Where Where is your family from? You mentioned University of Vermont. What was before that, and what did you? Do I was, did They do.
1: I was born and raised in the middle of Connecticut in a town called New Britain, Connecticut, which was a maybe when I was growing up 75 to a hundred thousand industrial uh, based city filled with uh, Polish immigrants, because it was the hardware capital of the world at that time, Corbin Locks, Stanley tools, mm. a lot of the hardware manufacturers had their factories there. And uh, so it was, it was small town, but it also had a, nowhere near the urban feel of a New York city or or a Boston, but you did at least have a small city vibe that was mixed yeah. with the, my, my family came from a, a road construction background. Uh, they owned one of the, one of the new England regions, uh, larger um, road construction outfits. And remember this, this was a period so you had of some
0: family bread. You had some family bread uh, growing up. Yeah. But it was interesting
1: because the industry didn't take off. Uh, until I was like in the middle of high school and it coincided with the, the infrastructure commitments that, that, um, you know, the administration first Eisenhower and then Kennedy made for the interstate system. Mm. And, you know, that was big. So time it was bang. a
0: bit hand to mouth uh, before that for, for you know, reinvest industry, yes. buy
1: one truck, get another truck. Right. But Cause it's, that's lived, heavy.
0: That's heavy equipment, man. Yeah. Holy and
1: we man. all lived, we all lived in one, uh, community, you know, on one street at the bottom of the hill. The company owned all of the houses, all six of them. So you had a com-
0: you had a little company town
1: for our construction company, wow. because the backyard was the uh, was basically the storage area for all the heavy duty construction equipment. So while you got to play with a Tonka toy of a bulldozer, I got to climb on board the real thing in my backyard
0: wow and were there how many families were there
1: uh my dad had uh himself his sister's family uh my my his brother's family and then i had uh three of the 10 uncles that started the started the business before they all left living there too so we used to call it we used to call it a rootsville wow and all on one property essentially Basically, I mean, we all had had yards, but they were all they were row Cape Cod style houses, Mm. you know, three twos and uh, all on one side. There was a big park in the high school football field across the street. And then at the top of the hill was my grandmother and grandfather's house. And that's where every Sunday everybody made the pilgrimage up there Mm.
0: to uh, find out what was going on. And, you know, because you're 71, you were born in, what, 50? 1950, yep. So uh, you are all through that industrial age, but your family came out of uh, uh, as immigrants, right? They, they came. Um, when did your family my, first come? My,
1: my grandfather uh, came over with his family. They settled in Fall River, Massachusetts, mm. and he started a trucking company, and that's where he and his 10 brothers, uh, every dime they made, had one truck and then they bought two trucks and then they bought three trucks and, you know, survived the depression and came up through. And then, mm. as I say, they started this small construction company that immediately began to grow and everything was reinvested into it. So it was what I call a, a blue collar slash lower upper middle class upbringing for me. Mm. And then my siblings, my six brothers and sisters, they all got to experience the, the flush times when uh, I had gone off to prep school and um, they hit pay dirt and made tons of money. And then that would have been you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, right? Right. And yeah. I graduated from high school in, in 68. So by the mid 60s, they were making uh, making sufficient money that everybody dispersed from Marotsville, mm. went out, bought their little McMansions and, you know, started acquiring things.
0: So here you are in a Rootsville and you uh, did racing come in. I feel like I know. Yeah, I feel like my, I... my dad, my, it's funny.
1: My dad traveled for the construction business and he, whether it was upstate New York, wherever it may be. So I got to see my dad. My grandfather was really my father figure through most of my uh to, to the middle of my adolescent life. Uh, and I'd see my dad on the weekends. Well, the, the the way it always turned out is my dad would come home on Friday night. Friday night, he would get the report, not just from my mom, but from my grandmother, as to how all of us had screwed up one way or the other. And then he would mete out the punishment. Then Saturday morning. <laughs> Welcome would, home, Dad. Right. And oh, then he man, would get in the car. That's such a, that's with such a his hard three. way. to like That no, wasn't. We didn't know any better. <laughs> right. Well, right? But yeah, then he yeah, would yeah. get in the car with his two buddies high school buddies. And they were they owned a garage and they built a race car and Mm. they would go off racing. And I wouldn't see my dad until Sunday morning Mm. when the big argument would be that he didn't want to go to church. My mother would load us all up to go to church. And by the time we got back, it was time to say goodbye to dad as he drove off to upstate New York. So I was pretty quick. I figured out that maybe the best way for me to get some sort of relationship with my dad is to like the same things he liked. Mm-hmm. And I could tell it's pretty obvious. He liked auto racing. So at a very early age, I jumped into it and he went to the Indianapolis 500 with his, with his two best friends since, since 1950. And oh, they went as fans. They went as fans. And then with the construction company, there were some connections through oil companies, et cetera, where they could get some pit passes and things, but they also were fielding race cars. So it was, that's how I got involved in, in, in the world of racing. And then it, it came full circle when I was in college, uh, because the construction company bought a local racetrack as an investment. And really it was to placate my father's wanderlust because he always dreamed of doing that in the, the track was going to be closed and it's that's what started the, the family oh and oh of uh, stafford speedway a half mile nascar track in uh, stafford springs connecticut and to this day my family still owns it and operates it so hmm. that's where i got my that's where i got my auto racing bona fides but also my father left it to me to figure out a way for me to establish myself there and i was a i was a ham Okay, I. Was in all the school plays. I was mouthy. You've known me long enough yeah. to know that they never <laughs> yeah. stopped me. Yeah, and so I made the mistake one day. I was working at uh, as a sixteen-year-old. I was the flagman at the racetrack. Oh, that's cool. And, which is
0: which is sort of like the maestro, right? Because there's some flair to yeah, it, right? That, well, yeah, at yeah. that
1: at that point, it was you got dressed up in the white silks. You had the set of flags, and you were the guy. You before this was before two-way radios and all. Well, my dad didn't own the racetrack. He was fielding cars and racing there as a car owner. I was getting paid $75 cash every okay. Saturday night. Every Saturday night. That's pretty
0: night. good. That's pretty good money. But that
1: was big bank. But I made yeah. the mistake once my father bought the racetrack about three weeks into the ownership, sitting at breakfast, I told my father I thought his announcer sucked. <laughs> and my <laughs> did, father says, did, well, did, did he? Well, they did. So he bet, said, well, yeah, if yeah. you think you can do any better job, get your fat ass up there. And I went up there and that was fine. I fit into it and I started my my announcing career. But that night I went to get at paid 16 at 16 at 16. I, I went to get paid because everybody was paid in a little cash envelope. I get my white envelope. I open it up. I got thirty five dollars.
0: <laughs> That's a less important job, buddy. So you, I got, you, you talked yourself I, I into a, lower on the totem pole. You went from my to first I, violin.
1: Yeah, but longevity. I think I still made the no, right yeah, choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I don't
0: think Jackaroo doesn't have a Wikipedia page if you're the best flag guy at Nat. <laughs> That's right. Did you see they That's got right. Jack to start the race at Talladega uh-huh. this weekend? <laughs> Who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So what's the break? So that's the break. That's where you start talking and broadcasting. Did you study journalism? What took you? Out? No, because you're in a Rootsville at that point at 16. Uh, with my that, dad, with daddy my issues. My
1: grand, <laughs> well, it gets even more convoluted. My grandfather came down with lung cancer.
0: Uh, and,
1: and part of the routine is he had a doctor that would they still made house calls and he bought me do you remember the model the visible man yes okay where it had all well yeah you could see they, all the body parts and, the uh, and you and could remove stuff. them and it had yeah, all yeah, the yeah. latin names yeah. and it was it was kind of this moment i don't mean to sound melodramatic but it was this moment of joy with my grandfather he would bet his doctor, I'll never forget the doctor's name, Dr. Callot, that I could name all of those organs and bones in their Latin names. And he'd bet him yeah, 20 bucks because
0: cool. it was a lot. And it was a very intricate toy, from very intricate.
1: And you would pull them out. And so it was long and the short of it. It was a moment and I know the doctor let me win. OK, but then one of my grandfather's dying requests the last time I saw him, as he said, don't let them uh put you in the construction company. You need to be a doctor. Well, think about going off to college with that. Your grandfather, who was your idol, you know, told you that that's what you need to be. You want to honor his memory. So when I got to the University of Vermont, I was accepted into a you know an accelerated pre-med program. so I couldn't be any further away from what I ended up doing for my life. Than that, And then I, I, you know, after my freshman year, I came to grips like everybody else in that child of the 60s environment where you started to examine all of your uh, all of the things that you held dear. You rebelled. And I finally decided I didn't want to do that. So I ended up majoring in psychology, which in and of itself was a joke, and then minoring uh, uh, in communications. So my only real formal education towards what I ended up doing for 50 plus years of my life was was stuff that was taught to me by once I got the jobs, once I whether it was I went to work for Motor Racing Network and started the NASCAR radio network or going to work for ABC. uh, There were icons that shared, you know, their expertise and you know, there were there were a bunch of them, but they were the ones that that that's where I got my education. That's where I learned um, what was important and how to
0: do it. Let's stay in the, the glory days because um you, you did some amazing assignments at ABC. I mean, you were the sideline reporter for many years on the three thirty ABC East coast football game, which was always a huge big 10 game. Uh, I mean, you guys, you know, you were on one of the best groups. I think it was with Brent Musburger for a good bit there.
1: Actually we started, it was, it was uh, Bob Greasy, myself, and yep. Keith Jackson.
0: Oh, oh, oh man. That's one of the better, that's one of the best three, three, you know, that's a legendary three person booth there. for for that window because that that got us into the modern era right that's when because that window was the window you guys were doing 10 12 15 million people watching sometimes
1: easily and maybe the best way to put it in perspective is we all know he's in the college football hall of fame keith jackson yeah you know the true hall of famer and he was the captain of the ship what I witnessed was a profound respect, which helped me in my training. How many times, Ed, did we go to places and sit and meet with coaches, and have have our our integrity tested? Right. Don't say anything about this, but okay, right. And then we would labor over how not to violate that confidence, but yet we had that journalistic responsibility that that's going to, to tie an into the story the game. of the game, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah. You had. You know, a really great career. You mentioned the Baja 1000 that you got to race in and scoop vessel. Was that scoop vessels, yeah. scoop vessels and light of cigarettes and all that in your years in this classically trained our time at ABC when you were doing wild world of sports and college football, what was the coolest, best thing you ever did and the craziest story that helped get the story and 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 sell it and tell it? Well, the
1: coolest, hands down, the Iditarod sled dog race. And I'm, how many times did you do that? Five times. Wow. And keep in mind, I'm living on a boat in Florida. All right. And now they're going to take me and ship me to Anchorage, Alaska. And your job is to, is to write and produce two weeks worth of Wide World of Sports segments about the, the last great race in the world and And you and there was not there
0: wasn't a host there wasn't any of that you were a sole embedded reporter i i along
1: i was i was the co-host along with lynn swan lynn and i were dispatched up there well you don't think swanee was
0: going to go out on the trail do
1: you you know
0: (laughs) i I didn't get to know lynn we were colleagues for a while at abc but that my my suspicion would be no trust me correct answer Me, on the other hand, you've known me well enough that
1: if they say, don't put your hand on the stove, that's the first thing I do. If they say, hey, this is out there, would you be interested? So I wanted to do it. I went with the crew and traveled the entire 1,040 miles on the trail Mm. by snow machine and by airplane. And I would do the segments. Well, the airplane part, leave that out of the biography, because come on, if you're not going to do it. The airplane crashed. (laughs) <laughs> okay it was a bush plane I mean there's a but my point was these guys were you in the train. plane when it
0: crashed yes yeah we just how many over. crashes have you been in in your whole been life in a lot in my life yeah well but, we, we started this with your 120 miles to, to glory I think that I the begin best story to think, ever I think that I'm beginning
1: to think in my career that you know I'm like I'm like the guy with in the peanuts with the big cloud that
0: goes over my head crashes follow me all right so that's yeah simple. but you're smart smiling but I've I've survived whistling a tune and having a good time under the under the it's it's sort of right behind you it's nipping at your heels but it's not killing you
1: well it's the same people that whistle through the graveyard on the on halloween point being that was the most to me coolest thing i ever did quite honestly because of the fact that these guys they raced, Ed, they raced for a brand new Dodge pickup truck. And yet they would spend the entire oh, man. entire year yeah. raising sled dogs, finding the best ones. I witnessed stuff in the relationship between uh, the musher and his animals where a musher would have gone, you know, 72 hours without sleep. And would come to a checkpoint and while he's dead on his feet he knew that in order to continue he had to first care for his dogs Mm. and then he'd be done bedding them down feeding them and all that and realize that he could get an edge by leaving earlier than everybody else to me it was a glimpse at what is what is missing a lot of times in sports today now the 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 grit, the
0: grit necessary to do that did, did you ever see true grit the modern yes. version yeah when yeah, when, exactly. when when he's carrying her cuz she's going to die if he doesn't walk that last 2 miles after his horse dies and and it was i was i thought that was one of the coolest scenes that brought the title through and showed you why he was worth rooting for in that moment that that human grit uh pretty important now the the the
1: absolute craziest thing I ever did is I covered the world hang gliding championships on mm. top of Lookout Mountain in Where's Chattanooga, that? Tennessee. Oh yeah.
0: And uh the hang gliding was, world championships? The world championships. Did Chattanooga Day have to bid for that like the Super Bowl? No, no, because this is this is
1: back when hang gliding was being popularized by the what movie Gypsy Moth. Gypsy Moth. What was, Moth. So,
0: what, was uh, what year was this?
1: I had to be in the
0: eighties. Okay. You know, late eighties. Well, <laughs> again, what is that subculture? Like the, it the was, it, you narcissistic, know, narcissistic exactly like, nerdy hang
1: gliding. culture. No, not nerdy at all. Much more of a parallel or something. I think, especially with you living in long beach. Now I can identify with the surfer culture. Hmm. Now it may have changed since then, but well, that's that way time, more fun. Less. Or, I mean, it's not as interesting. Exactly. It's, it's more fun to hang out. Exactly. But it's more fun also to find out. I've always been fascinated by what makes people tick. All right. And to, to be long before it became a fashionable term in war instances, I was embedded with these cats for a week and a half. They taught me how to hang glide. I went off a lookout mountain in a, in, in a tandem hang glider. Uh, They taught me how to look for the updrafts by looking down and seeing the leaves turned up because mm, of the golfer caddies do
0: that. that. Yeah, golfers okay. look up in the trees. Yeah.
1: Now, why I say it was the craziest thing I did, I'm deathly afraid of heights. Oh wow. I, Is that why you I, had to I, do
0: tandem? Cause you said tandem. I was gonna call you out on that. Because if you learn how to hang oh, on, oh no, on no, feet, eventually learn how- I learned how to tandem first. I went off on my own. Oh, you I did? Off. Oh, oh yeah. man, that's cool. Yeah. So you were just talking about, uh, you know, you want to get into the heads of what makes people tick. But I think you do, and I want to ask a question there, but I think you do something unique to you and maybe a couple of other people I've worked with um, in reporting and also filmmaking. Um, You are really curious for your own experience, Cause you can go report that really well and do a bunch of great stories without ever learning how to do it. So, you know, for instance, I covered when I was at CBS, I covered the national cheerleading championships twice and I was the backstage reporter uh, mm-hmm. at that. And yeah, I, I learned a ton about cheerleading. I mean, I had manuals and was watching tape met with, you know, a couple of the um, lead coaches explaining your routine to me. What's difficult here? You know, I had to learn it, but I wasn't going to go tumble, you know, but you were a guy who would go tumble. You guy, you know what I mean? Like, well, well, what? where does that curiosity? I think what you just and, said. And I think what you what just said is- What drives
1: to do that? Curiosity, okay? And, and to me, curiosity is the cornerstone to just about anything you do. If you're not curious about it, are you really going to pay the amount of time or put in the amount of time and energy that's necessary to be good at what you're doing? My job was to be curious. All right. My job, no matter what I was assigned to, which is also, it opened some incredible opportunities for me because I never said no to an assignment. Now Mm. I never bullshitted my way through an assignment either. I would, I remember telling Rune Arledge or, or 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 uh Jeff Mason, whomever was in charge, when they would say, Well, what do you feel about you know, we're gonna send you to do this? I would say, I don't know jack shit about it, but give me a week and I'll figure right. it out. Right. I got assigned to the World Luge Championships in Altenburg at the time, East Germany. Mm. I I I didn't even know what the hell a luge was. But by the time we got done with the segment, and I didn't Bull crap, people! I didn't BS and you,
0: them. you. You, man, all you got to get is to a two-level level. You got to get to like a sophomore well, no, but, level but, knowledge. And but the thing get, is yeah, that right.
1: the difference for me, and I let my curiosity drive me, is I also wasn't afraid to say to my analyst, "Look, I don't know a lot about this," and say it on the air, right? So help me to understand it. Help me to understand it at the basest terms. And if you had a good analyst. And look, you were you were great at this. I yes, remember I when you when I first got hooked up with you and I thought, first of all, holy shit, what the hell happened to this guy? Yeah, I lost the steroids pounds. playing at Washington. No, st- I was on 12,000 calories a day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but covering you there and then having a relationship with you. What I learned is you have a curiosity, too. Mm. Right. You have an interest and, and it goes beyond X's and O's. You want to know the process, not because you want to be the gatekeeper of that process, but you want to be able to figure out, all right, so that makes sense to me. This is the process. So that's going to help me help the viewer understand what's coming next.
0: I want to go back to the hang gliders as we wrap this up, because I think this goes to the heart of sports and why we're fascinated by it. And, you know, why we get in trucks that flip over and fly through the sky. So you, have hang, go, yeah, you have to let it said, go, kind of You have to let it go. You said... You Stop said, being so envious. <laughs> All right. You said uh, you were curious about what makes, and you said guys, because it was mostly guys, I would assume, with this hang gliding thing. Uh, what makes them tick? What makes them... Why do they do it? Why do they want to be the world champion? Why do they get that specific about you know, hang gliding. When I left at the end of that documentary,
1: none of them gave a shit about the the world championship. Mm. It wasn't even a trophy.
0: It was Mm. a name.
1: Mm. What, what they absolutely. And that's why I use the surfer culture. And I'm talking about the fact that. So there was no Dodge truck for the winner, just in the editor. Oh, there was, but that, that that was immaterial to them. They weren't what,
0: it's, as I it was the, as it was for the guys in the Iditarod. I mean, that's a big deal to get a truck, but that you know exactly. But that you know, had they wanted to be known, but in
1: but with the hang gliders, they wanted to push themselves. They wanted to know
0: how far could they go. Well, Jack, you are respected by yours, especially me. You can hear Jack's podcast focus on American motorsports. Jackaroots Wind Tunnel. Wherever you find your podcast, they're on Facebook at the show's name and on Twitter at J.A. Wind Tunnel. Thanks, Jack. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow the show on social media. On Twitter, we're at Let's Huddle With, Facebook page, Let's Huddle With Ed Cunningham, and on Instagram, let's underscore huddle underscore with underscore Ed. If you want to come right to the source, the show's webpage can be found at believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com. Then search up Let's Huddle to come to the show's page. And reach out, let us know what you think, any corrections, clarifications, or any guests you'd like us to have on. Resources for this episode Wikipedia, per usual. I'm reminded how important you are every day, Wikipedia, and have made a donation on behalf of the show. Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham is a production of True Stories Incorporated, and this episode was produced by me and edited by Ryan Lindsay of Fushaw Media. The Believe team on the Let's Huddle beat, producer Alex Dissopoulos, audio engineer Carter, connor haynes and cam rogers the marketing directors cam also co-hosts golf bets on us a golf betting podcast and my first contact with team believe ron Husenstamm, the chief exec thanks everyone and thank you for listening